if you're a guest, let me reiterate, we are in a, camp, a building campaign. So that's what we're doing right now. What we typically do is we love to do expository Bible preaching. And that's kind of our thing. In fact, if you want to know about us, our church and our philosophy, if you go on YouTube and watch last week's sermon, it's probably the best place I could tell you to go. It kind of lays it out. This is our heart. This is what we're trying to do. But we're just in this moment. I, I call it a seminal moment. Uh, in my 26 years, we've, we've been through a few of these. I, I'm excited about what God is doing. And we're talking about faith. Last week, we talked about vision faith. Today, I want to talk about stretching faith. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews. For those of you that are online, uh, make sure that you uh, find the text there. And uh, Hebrews chapter 11, if you're not familiar with Hebrews 11, it's kind of known as the hall of faith right? We have the Hall of Fame. Uh, I lived not that far from Canton, Ohio. That's where the football Hall of Fame is, the baseball ones in Cooperstown, right? Uh, but, and it memorializes people who were great in those sports. Well, Hebrews 11 memorializes people who were great in faith. It's a wonderful chapter. You want to be encouraged, read chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. I just wanted to look at the first 11 verses to kind of give us a launching point about stretching faith here. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, the, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God took him. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Here's kind of the key verse. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundation, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, she was 90 years old, folks, right? Since she considered him faithful, who was promised. When you think about faith and the journey, and God takes us on to build our faith, I, you know, I, I was thinking back to a number of different things, but my, my heart really settled the story I wanted to tell you today, because it's, it's tied, it's Desert Springs' story. Uh, it was 2002. 2003, first part of 2004. Now, I shared with you last week, showed you some pictures of the old church in Glendale, the old A-frame piece that was there. Uh, you know, we had 50 paved parking spots. We had two houses. One was the children's house. One was the youth house. And the offices were the, or the bedrooms were the offices. 
And we had grown from 55 to about 250, 2002. But we're in a neighborhood. We're not on a main road. The main road is Bethlehem, or obviously the road to nowhere, a mile and a half west. But you still would like to put a sign out, right? But between us and the main road, there's a... There's about an acre and a half of farmland that sometimes got farmed, but most of the time just grew weeds, right? That continued to kind of block anybody from trying to find us. And we often thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could, you know, get a sign out on the Bethany home that we're here? And uh, the church that sent us, the kind of the mother church, so to speak, kind of had the same idea. They came to us in the beginning of 2002 and said, hey, what if we bought for you that acre and a half between you and Bethany Home? You could put a sign out, ultimately future building. Right now, maybe put some crushed granite down, do parking. Man, we are excited. And they did. If I remember right, $78,000. They bought that acre and a half, gave it to us. And we're thrilled. And at the same time, we had this older couple in our church. Oh, wonderful, godly people. In fact, they had bought us, I think back in 97, they bought us our first church van. Man, that literally revolutionized our ministry. In fact, that old Ford van, we, we drove it until we just gave it to the little church down in the Summerton, right? It's still going. Uh, it, it's not much to look at, but it's still going, right? And that couple said, you know, we want to help get the sign and move this. And they gave us a gift of $50,000. I mean, it was amazing. We were so excited. We thought, man, this is it. This is kind of the, you know, that moment in time. And then uh, I, I went to meet with the city of Glendale. Now, if you're from Glendale, I want to be very clear. They were the, some of the nicest, sweetest people. The man that helped us was just awesome. In fact, they had the thing for church leaders, and I went. That's where I met them. I told them what we were going to do. We wanted to get a sign out and then eventually, you know, put some crushed granite out. He said, let me do some research. I'll get back to you. He did. And when he called, he said, listen, you've got a couple little issues you're going to have to work through. I said, fine. He said, the first thing is, is that in Glendale, there's a law that you can't put a sign for a business when the business isn't on that property. And I said, well, what does that have to do with anything here? Well, your church is on another property. I said, no, we own it all. It's all ours. It's right there, right? And he goes, no, 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 no. There's a counting map in a book somewhere that has this invisible line. This says they're two different parcels, and so you're going to have to get that erased. Uh, okay, right. So what will that take? Ah, you know, nine months, a year, year and a half, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. You can get that erased. And, uh, that's not quite what I was wanting to hear, but okay. And then he said this, and, and honestly, I can hear it in my ear like it happened yesterday. He goes, but that's not your real problem. I said, okay, tell me what my real problem is. The real problem you got is that the church that originally built the building never got a conditional use permit. It's zoned residential. You have to get a conditional use permit to do any of this. I said, so it can't be a church? I mean, it's, it's like, he goes, no, 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 it'll be a church. It's just you have to run through that process. I said, well, what's the process? Well, I mean, you got to have hearings. There has to be notices. This will take at least a year, uh, maybe two, a couple thousand dollars. But you got to do all of that before you can even do the other thing. And I'm sitting there in my heart because 
here's the thing. I'm a lifer. Uh, part of the, as a, as a in ministry, it's what I do. Part of the reason I'm a lifer is because I probably can't do anything else. I mean, seriously, if my family had to depend upon me working with my hands to feed them, they would be really skinny. I mean, it's just, this is what I do. This is what God has gifted me to do. And I'm, um, but I got to be honest with you. Uh, in 2002, we were starting to run on fumes. And just to be, I probably wasn't this transparent at the time with the church, but the reality is I didn't have two years left in me. For those of you who go back to that time, you remember those first seven years, man, it was blood, sweat, and tears for every family who came and stayed. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, I don't know. So we're in the fall of 2003. The church is all excited, right? I got, I got to tell them about this and I just, I don't know what to do. And then... And then one of those seminal moments for me. So dear friend, really dear friend, he was my roommate for three years in college. When I graduated, I became a youth pastor. When he graduated, he went to his hometown just outside of Kansas City, Missouri. He planted a church with just a handful of people. By every metric that you can ever look, it was one of the most successful church plants. I mean, grew to, eventually grew to over 400 people. They saved up. They bought a piece of property for cash right on the freeway. One of the best pieces of property for a church I've ever seen. Got easy access both ways. It was incredible. Then they saved up money. They built the first building debt-free. He's 17 years in, and he quit burned out. I uh, had walked through that journey with them a year, year and a half. Just had nothing left to give. So he started teaching for Sprint. Fall of 2003, he, uh, he's out here. He's teaching for Sprint here. And so I said, hey, let me come after work. I'll pick you up. It was a Wednesday. I got to take you back over to church because a couple things I got to do, but then I'll take you to dinner and take you back. You know, we'll just catch up. It was great. So I picked him up, brought him by, you know, showed him some things around. He had never seen our, our building and stuff and all that we did. And I took him out to dinner. And the best way I can explain it is uh, he sat me down and had a talk. It was kind of a come to Jesus talk. His point was, Steve, I'm seeing in you now, today, things that were going on in my life two years ago. He says, I'm concerned for you. So what do you do? I mean, church, you know, we've been all excited. So uh, it was January 2003 now. And uh, I, uh, that was all in 2002, January 2003. I came to the state of the church, and you know me. I try to be as transparent as possible. I try not to, uh, my wife hates this analogy, but keep my cards close to my vest, right? I try to lay them out, and I just told the church. I said, this is where we're at. I don't know what God's doing. I think God's put us here for a reason. I think he gave us his land for a reason. I just don't know what he's doing. Would everybody take a meal a week for the next few weeks, don't eat, fast, and pray that God would give us wisdom? So everybody did. And within two weeks, we get two completely unsolicited calls from two different churches that say, hey, would you want to sell your campus? Now, to be honest with you, I have no idea why anybody wants this place, right? 
But we thought, man, as leadership, I, we asked for wisdom, right? God's given us the nudge. So, so we decided to put it on the market. We processed that all through the church. The funny thing is, both those churches went away. But you go, okay, God, another time, right? Six months later, we sold it. And uh, by the way, biggest miracle I've ever seen in my life beyond changed lives and beyond God, some people that God has healed, biggest tangible miracle I've ever seen. That, had, that building, that property had a half million dollars debt and we had it for, well, I was there for almost nine years and yet when we sold it, we walked away with almost a million dollars in our pocket. Million dollar turnaround on that piece of property. Trust me, only God could do that. So now we're all excited again, right? This is going to be great. This is awesome. And now we got to find a place to go. And uh, this was September that we, we signed the papers. They're supposed to close middle of November. And uh, we started knocking on doors. We started going here, there, and yonder. We looked at some horrendous places. And to be honest with you, even the horrendous places, and we just kept rocking into brick walls over and over. I mean, I was talking with Jim and Susan Glass. It's on our elder board. It goes all the way back. And they said, man, those Sundays you tell us and we'd be praying. And then next week, well, that didn't work out. It was miserable. I hated coming to church because I had, to, oh, we don't have any place to go. And then I've told you the story. It's the story of Black Monday, <laughs> right? Because I've been playing, praying for a piece of land for nine years. And we actually got to meet with the 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 development director of that land and we thought oh man this is it this is going to be our breakthrough moment and then we found and it wasn't in a great location but it was a it was a storefront that would hold us for a couple years so we thought we'd get that lease and that would be great we thought god was putting us all together we thought this was going to be victory monday and it turned into black monday because we went to the first meeting about the land and we were told very politely we didn't have a snowball's chance in hades of getting that land and then we went to the meeting with the uh you know the one that owned the strip mall and oh they won way too much money i'll never forget getting my car that night and just going i mean, I mean i've never felt more like moses <laughs> standing there at the red sea looking over your shoulder, and here comes Pharaoh's army going, God, what have you got me into? It was, it was, it was something. About that time, late, late September, early October, uh, we had heard about St. Thomas that was in Old Litchfield Park. They built their, you know, brand new big old church down there on Thomas. They were selling the others. Uh, we came out and looked at it. Uh, in fact, that was the one time all the elders came. I'll never forget because we went down to that. There's a McDonald's there at Litchfield and McDowell, right? I think it's the only time I've ever been in that McDonald's. We went down there to talk about it. Everybody's eyes were this big. And we said, man, that would be perfect. There were just four problems. One, they wanted way too much money. Two, there's another church that was already putting offers in on it. See, there's something in the kingdom of God. You don't bid up another church, right? Uh, because if God wants them to have it, you want them to get it for as cheap as possible, right? So now you got so to just kind of finesse through that. Number three, even if we could get it for what it's worth and the other church fell out, nobody in their right mind is going to loan us a couple million dollars if they'd seen what we had just been through for the last nine years. And, and number four, it was eight miles Funny thing is, I had no idea what the miracle of that was. Because when we moved a half mile from Litchfield to here, I lost way more people 
uh, in that half mile move than I lost in the eight. So it was interesting. But anyway, so what are we going to do? We just prayed, right? Just prayed. Uh, at the same time, clock is ticking. So I'll never forget, I was, I was laying in bed. It was a Friday night. I remember, I remember it as clear as day because she's sleeping. She can sleep through anything, by the way. God's given her a good sleeper. Um, I'm staring at the ceiling saying, Lord, what are we going to do? And, and I remembered that there was a man, he was an old Youth for Christ friend of my dad's who ran a ministry called Teen Missions. You ever heard of Teen Missions? Go lay a brick for God. So back in the 80s, the 90s, Two, early 2000s, they were the number one sender of short-term missions in the world. And they loaned money to churches. So I called my dad the next day and said, hey, do you think they still do that? He said, I don't know. I'll call Bob tomorrow. Bob says, yeah, we loan money. We'll do that. Uh, we've actually got some to loan right now. I'm actually going to California. I'll stop by next week. And we went, whoa. So sure enough, he showed up. I took him over to the building. We walked through. We went to the sanctuary. And there was a breezeway between the two buildings. And I know people always think that I, I'm stretching this story. But if we get to heaven and God allows replays, you watch this. This is exactly how it happened. We walked out the door in the breezeway. He turned around, stuck out his hand and says, hey, we'll loan you the money. It's like two, a little over $2 million. I said, Whoa. I said, don't you like want to see our financials or anything? You know, like, you know, because this is going to be a huge stretch for us. He just laughed at me. He says, you don't know how this works, do you? And I said, well, obviously not. <laughs> he said, banks don't want to loan churches money because if they have to foreclose, it's like they're foreclosing on God in the neighborhood, and that's bad for business. He says, what I'm loaning you is I'm loaning you God's money. This is money I'm investing to send kids on mission trips from countries around the world. So he says, this is God's money. He says, I had no problem for closing on you. And I went, oh, okay, you know, make, <laughs> made sense. We'll loan you the money. Uh, and a few days after that, we got the call from the realtor that the other church financing had fallen through. Uh, you can Google this piece. I won't go into it. But the diocese at that point was going through some issues and needed some cash. They came down a million dollars in their asking price. And we had 250 people. We needed, we needed them. And every one of them moved out with us eight miles, except for one older couple. We got, you know, they got placed in another church. God put it together. So then, 2004, we moved in, and uh, we got just enough money in the bank that if, if giving doesn't grow, uh, we're, we're going to be, we can supplement for about seven months. September 15th, we're out of money. Now, we're still here, right? God's been faithful. Here's the thing I need you to understand. Faith journeys are really fun to tell. They are really hard to live. I mean, we love these great stories of faith, right? David taking on Goliath. Daniel going into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fiery furnace. We will not bow down, right? Those are great stories. Well, they're great stories, but we know the ending, Right? You, you, you know, somebody, I've seen you smile, man. I'm telling this story, and I want to tell you, that was a horrendous time. And when you think about those men of faith, David didn't know where that first stone was going. 
Daniel wasn't sure that God was going to close the mouths of the lions. You think, you think of Noah. You know, we don't know how much time. Uh, it could have been up to 100 years. We're, we're really not sure how much time he spent building the ark. But the thing's huge. I mean, from wall to wall, we're about 100 feet in here. This thing is 450 feet long. And he's building it out of wood with no circular saws and nails or anything we got. I mean, and it has never, ever, ever rained. They're tough to live. But faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. Because it means we're relying upon him. And I was thinking about that this week. You know, and so much, so much of the Bible, when you go back to, to what God wants, so, so God creates a perfect environment where man has everything he needs, right? Because he's in relationship with God. God will provide it all. You rely upon God. You have faith in God. So in that first moment of temptation, what was it? Are you going to have faith in God? You're going to have faith in yourself. God said, if you eat of that tree, you'll die. If you eat of that tree, your eyes will be open. Everything will be, will be missed. But what, what their heart told them, what their eyes told them, what their, their sense of wisdom told them is that, hey, it looks good. It looks like it'll taste good. It looks like it will mean a lot. It, it'll give us wisdom, right? They did not walk in faith. And yet that's all God wants. He wants us to trust him, to believe in him. That's why when you think about salvation, salvation, even if we could be good enough, which we can't, salvation can never be of works. Why? Because works is trusting in us, right? God, it is impossible to please God without faith. Trusting in that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Without faith, it's impossible to trust him. It's impossible to please him. So faith is this, I like to call it a spiritual muscle. It's got to be stretched. It's got to be grown. It's got to be developed. You know, you think of a little newborn when they come. We got a nine-month-old. You know, and, and when they're first born, they are so cute, aren't they? And cuddly. Uh, but have you ever noticed they're kind of floppy, right? They just, you know, you got to just kind of move everything. Because they have very little muscle tone. Right? They, they, they got to develop that. That's part. Now, we just called it doing life, right? Today, they actually have terms for it. One of them is called tummy time. I didn't know this, right? So, you know, you'd always flip your kids over. Well, you know, now they have to have their tummy time so that they learn to raise up, to raise their head. What are they doing? They're building muscles. And then you hold them and you kind of put, you know, and their legs could never hold them. But you start doing that and so they're building strength, right? And just like that, in the same way spiritually, that's what has to happen to us. Our faith has to be stressed. It has to be stressed and, and stretched and it has to be pushed just like any other muscle. Now, I hate stretching, quite honestly. I, I'm not a big weight guy, right? But if you're going to build muscles, if you're going to be strong, you're going to get your core into shape, right? That's what you got to do. And in the same way, that's what faith has to happen. Great faith stories don't happen without the conflict. If there's no Goliath, there's no David and Goliath. I mean, who of us would know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if there's not a fiery furnace, right? How many of us would have heard about Noah if there was no flood? 
It's the conflict that creates the stress, the stretching. And, and when I say stress, I want to be really cautious. I want to be really clear. I'm not talking anxiety. Because quite honestly, stress that brings anxiety uh, is not faith. It's the stress, the pressure that makes us lean into Jesus and to trust him. So Black Monday, 2003, our church is sold. We thought God was doing a miracle. It just blew up in the last hour and a half, everything. I got to walk back into the church. They've all been praying. They all knew about this meeting. They all had been fasting and praying. But I got to walk into church next Sunday and say, folk, not happening. And I don't have any other leads. Now, I'm a convertible guy. But personal, you know, little, one of my weakness. But there's just something about putting the top down, putting on good soul music, which, of course, is quartet music, right? Southern gospel quartet music. Uh, if you're really good, the, the vocal band. And, and, and that's what I did. Man, I, 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 I put the top down. I turned it on. And it was... It was, again, it's like I'm standing here at the Red Sea. Here comes Pharaoh's army. God, I don't know what you're going to do. But Lord, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to walk ahead. And what you've got to understand is, is that personally in all of our lives, a large faith muscle doesn't develop without significant moments where God stretches us and pushes us and stresses that can we believe him? Can we take him at his word? I mean, you think about how, you know, we talked in this whole thrive piece that, that we've got to, right? How do you thrive? Well, you, you trust him. You lean into him. You stand on his promises, right? You live for another day. When the, when the whole culture around us says live for today, we're saying no. Well, you know what that is? That's faith. And that's what he's pushing. That's what he's stressing. And so what God often does in this journey is he leads us into these moments where he's, he's stretching our faith. He's, he's building us up. And I, I can't help but think of, of, of the journey. Because there were things before 2002 and 2003 that God had taken us through. You know, I've told you the story a zillion times about 1997 and then $34 in the bank, right? Well, that was good preparation for 2003 and 4. And I want to tell you 2003 and 4 were great preparation for 2008, right? We had just bought this building, got it on a fire sale, right? We're going to sell that because everything is sky high, right? And, and we're going to pay down the debt here. It was going to be awesome. And then 2008 hit. And we're stuck with two church buildings and two church mortgages for seven years. You see, God often knows what's down the road, what's next. And he's preparing you for that because he sees the end from the beginning. I thought about something and, and I thought, well, man, I wasn't sure if I should share it because it might come across as being a little judgmental, maybe even a little condemning. I didn't want her to do it, so I ran it past Tammy. She gave me the good housekeeping seal of approval. So I, I, I want to share this. 
And again, I want you to understand, it's just simply an observation. That's all I'm, all I'm trying to do here. But in 40 years of ministry, I've been privileged to walk with a lot of people in their journey through the valley of the shadow of death. And I've walked with a lot of Christians. And for those Christians who, yeah, they know Jesus, they know they have eternal life, but honestly, when you watch their life, they held tightly to the reins. They didn't live in reckless abandon to the Lord. They never would get too far out of their comfort zone. What I find is they need a lot of ministry, a lot of shepherding, a lot of encouragement, a lot of reassurance. What I found with saints who have lived in that reckless abandon of every day they take up their cross to follow in Jesus. It has stretched them. Their faith muscle has grown. Folk, they don't need me. In fact, quite honestly, I probably need them more than they need me because they minister to me. They're standing there in that quiet calm of assurance. They're, they're, They're telling me of their anticipations and expectations. And it's just, it's just blessing my heart. But the reason is, is because they have this incredible faith muscle that they've allowed God to build. And I truly believe that God brings both churches and people into these moments these seminal moments, and we don't always even know when they are, but are we going to be stretched? Are we going to allow God? In fact, I see it in churches all the time where the opportunity comes, and as they pray, they believe it seems like God is really opening the door. And are we going to stretch? It's going to make us uncomfortable, right? It's going to push us beyond. It's going to change things. We have a little box of how we'd like to do this, but maybe we could step outside of our box and reach even more people, and it's not always going to be comfortable. And the churches that do that, and they grow in great faith, I think, I think when you look back at, 97, and you look back at 2003 and 4, and you look back at 07 and 08, and I think that's why, as a church, we've been able to plant Mission Church and Salt Church and La Paz Central. I think God has been preparing us and stretching that faith muscle. But I see churches all the time that say, nah, we're just comfortable. And they have no idea the moment they say that, they're kind of getting to the backside of their life cycle. That faith muscle is no longer getting exercised. God wants me. God wants you. God wants us to have a big faith muscle. That's why we've got to seek him. Is this what he's asking us to do? And then individually, this is going to take great sacrifice. What would God ask us to do? How, how, can, how can we participate and trust God in a way that is very significant? Folk, salvation comes by faith, right? For without faith, it's impossible to please God. As a church, as believers, I just want to remind you, God wants you to have a big faith muscle. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him.